G'day Fisters, and welcome to The Fist, The Whole Fist, and Nothing But The Fist, so help me pod, the official Fistball Australia podcast, or as it's probably commonly referred to around the water coolers at your place of business, it's time for another episode of TFTWFANBTFSHMPTOFAP. That's right, we are back. Can you believe it? It only took us 12 months, uh, and here we are doing all this again. And joining me today as co-host for the very first time, fresh off not only his first Fistball World Championships campaign, but his first Fistball World Championships campaign as the captain of the Australian men's national team, it's Rod, the inanimate carbon Matthews. Welcome, Rod. Thank you, guys. Thanks uh, for having me. I'm very excited to come back uh, as a co-host, not a guest this time, and uh Good to, good to be catching up with our, our guest that's about to be announced. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I should point out that initially Malcolm was slated to do his usual co-hosting duties, but his work and life schedule has been a bit hectic since he got back from his four-week beer and fistball European tour. We've had to make the call and cut him out of this uh, episode. And I'll, I'll talk less as well, so <laughs> we'll get through it quicker. Exactly. And of course, we have a very special guest with us today for this comeback podcast episode. Uh, and once he begins to speak... Fans of international fistball may instantly recognise his smooth, knowledgeable and engaging dulcet tones. Some might even call him the new voice of international fistball. <laughs> From Philadelphia, the fresh prince of fistball himself, it's US fistball's own Kyle Esmond. Welcome. Fresh prince of fistball, I love that. That was good. <laughs> am, I, am I having deja vu? Have we done, have we done this before? Well, yes, yes. Funnily enough, this is actually not the first time Kyle has been on the podcast. Don't worry, though. You didn't miss that episode. We actually recorded an episode of this uh, with Kyle in December last year, but we had to can it as the, uh, the fear and anxiety of having to spend hours and hours editing it down to a reasonable length just became too overwhelming and uh, just very quietly got dropped in the trash. So we're having another go at it. We're being a bit more strict about it this time. We've got time limits. We've got beer limits. <laughs> so hopefully this is an editable piece of audio. And uh, I mean, the reason we're doing this again, the reason we brought it all back is because while we were in Germany, we had quite a few people coming up to us saying, when is the podcast coming back? And I should actually do an early shout out to Lucas Schubert, our number one podcast fan. He uh, cornered us and, and asked when the next episode was coming out. So, you know, this is going out to all the uh, FIFA podcast fans out there. I'm sure if uh, Mal was at the beer tent every night, so I'm sure droves were asking him each night, when's it coming back? Absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Even though we're going to keep a pretty tight uh, time limit, we still have our usual our usual uh, segments on this podcast, and we're going to start off with our beers. What are we all What are we all drinking today, uh, Kyle? As you're there at seven a.m. in the morning, why don't you tell us what you're drinking for breakfast? You know, nothing really hits better than a, a seven a.m. double IPA. So <laughs> I have a Cape May Brewing. Coastal evacuation, which seems oddly appropriate given the state of the U.S. at the current time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, New Jersey's finest. What's the what's the strength on that one? A double IPA. Oh, it's I believe it's eight percent. Nice, nice. Great start to the day. <laughs> it's listen. It's a holiday weekend. Yeah. Got my birthday tomorrow. Hey, I'm I'm ready to go. Did not know that. Happy birthday for tomorrow. No. What are we turning? Uh, thirty-one. Nice. Jeez, that's. 
That was a long time ago for me and Milne. <laughs> <laughs> Distant memory. I think I was just married or just having my first child then. Time flies. Cheers. I hope that came through nicely. Sounded like it did. Rodney, what have you got? Well, I've gone the, uh, I actually asked the wife just to grab me a beer from the supermarket. So I've gone the uh, the Bolter XPA. Yep. Um, I'm a fan of the Bolter. I think it's the IPA that's normally the strongest one, but this one's one and a half standard drinks, 5%. So should get me through the night. And if I drink it quickly, I've always got gin and tonic in the fridge waiting for, for me to uh, delve into. So nothing like a nice little G&T. Finish the night. Yeah. Sounds like trouble. Yeah. I'll get on to mine. I actually, um, I do have a lot of other beers in my fridge, but I just decided to, to go for a German beer. So I went and grabbed this from the bottle shop earlier today. It's a Hefe Weiss beer. It's a, wow, <laughs> this is where my uh, pronunciations uh, come out. Uh, Wehenstefana. I don't know if you've uh, seen one of those before. Yes. It is a reasonably large bottle, but that's purely because it was all they had. And it's with some... Some disgust that I'm going to open this with a Belgian red jellyfish uh, bottle opener, which uh, it hurts to do, I'll tell you what. But uh, <laughs> That's a nice little keepsake. Yeah. It's better than our pins, which um, came, came quite damaged. <laughs> that fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> Was that their gift for uh, yeah. the world champs this year? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's what I missed out on. I feel like as a commentator, I should have gotten a gift from like one from every one of the countries. Each country, yeah. Like they exchange with the players and then they just throw one up into the booth for me. <laughs> That's a fair throw on the on the main court anyway. That... Nah, they're athletes. They can do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, Milne, yours is yours the wheat beer? It is, yeah. Do you remember what they were saying about the wheat beers? No. When we're at the clubs, so the, the ladies drink the wheat beers. <laughs> well, call me a lady then. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And the men drinking the pills. And Talking about German beers, though, I must admit, the last three nights, I've never had bigger nights and not woken up with a single headache. So I think it's their their old beer um, rule that they have over there. Apparently, it's like 500 years old that you can only brew it with four ingredients and no preservatives. Amazing. Yeah. You can drink them, drink them all night long, and then the hangover was purely tiredness, not, you know, piercing headache. And Although Husey went Husey. <laughs> Something hit him hard that night. <laughs> Exception to the rule. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, now that I think about it, I mean, I only kind of celebrated hard, I guess, the first night after we'd been knocked out. And I don't recall having a hangover. I remember being really tired, obviously, but... Uh, Kyle, were you out that night with us in the tent after after we got knocked out? Were you there? Pro- probably. Oh, so, Milne, Mil- the reason why Milne was tired is the way he dances like a kangaroo. <laughs> And he was just bouncing on the dance floor up and down, probably for a good four hours. And I'm surprised he <laughs> didn't do a calf or at least wake up with calf cramps in the morning because he was just like an in Australia, it's an Energizer bunny, we call it. It's a yeah, it's an old battery mm-hmm. company, the uh, Energizer. And oh man, I've never seen him go. It was it was an amazing feat. It's getting a workout in. Uh, I, sh- I really should have jacked calves. I don't know why I don't, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's happy to put on a show. <laughs> uh, that were good nights. Good nights. Uh, all right let's uh let's move on so i mean one of the main reasons we wanted to get this podcast out was we've just come back from the the world championships in Mannheim. so i just want to talk about that and kind of you know wax lyrical about uh how that all went and the experience particularly for you rod i guess you're, this is the first world championships you've been to for you as someone who hadn't been to world championships what was the experience like for you 
Yeah, well, I've had so many people ask me when I came back, you know, what, what was it like? And, you know, it was, I was on a euphoric high while I was over there. It's sort of hard to explain. I found that the organisation was, was fantastic from, from my point of view. I mean, obviously, I don't have anything to go off. But, you know, even though we are battling fistballers from Australia, you felt like a rock star over there. And, and everyone that was there loved fistball. So, you know, whether it was the kids had no idea, but getting autographs to, you know, the 300 old Swiss people that came over and, you know, were just fanatics about it. I think that was the amazing part. And then when it went to Saparina, just to see the amount of people there that all love fistball and, you know, all, everyone from around the country and other countries close by, you know, they came with their clubs. And, yeah, I think just the support we had, you know, from the clubs we visited, mm-hmm. I think it would be hard to beat. I don't know whether, you know, I think we're going to talk about where it might possibly be later on. But, you know, it's going to be very hard to top top that one. So mm-hmm. the wife's already said I'm not allowed to go to another one. So <laughs> maybe, maybe I've peaked. I've come in it. <laughs> Come into the top one, and then it's just downhill from there. <laughs> uh, how about you, Kyle? Is that your second one that you've been to? Yeah, second one. Last time I was playing, um, this time getting to be on the media team all day, every day. Yeah, I mean, the, the organization was stellar. Production value was through the roof. Um, the people from top to bottom i mean just from the organizers to i mean even the camera crew to the video switchers like everyone was like such a professional what they were doing and we put out a really just incredible product like on par with any of the other top dollar like more well-known sports so for me that's that's a high you know we're coming from a really like the organizational side of things like it's so concentrated to like so few people Mm-hmm. So to be able to pull off something like this is pretty wild. And just being able to look back on the footage here and yeah. just have it be so clean is like it's it's huge for the sport. I mean, you look back even like 2015, 2011 like not knocking the organizational team, but like it is night and day from from where we were. And yeah, I mean the the crowd was huge, uh the energy, the atmosphere and like you know, for a lot of these players returning for like the second, third, some, some even their fourth world championship, it was even more familiar, you know, like people were reuniting for the first time and mm-hmm. sometimes for some people four years. So like, it was just like one big reunion too. So, um, yeah, it was excellent all around. I guess, especially post COVID really. I mean, I didn't even think about that until just then, but really a lot of these people wouldn't have seen each other for possibly for years, you know, because usually there's the South Americans in particular, like are often going over to Europe to play in the leagues and stuff there. And I know that some of them weren't able to during those COVID periods. So this probably was a pretty big catch up for a lot of them. And like, like you were just saying, I, I did rewatch um, some of the final and the, or the final couple of games um, once I got back and I didn't even realize at the time, just the level of the production value of those SAP arena games I mean, I could see the, I almost felt bad for him, the, the uh, cameraman who had to get in close for the huddles and after points and, you know, almost getting run down by players, coaches that almost running into him. But it made, it gave it this real weird, like intimate vibe 
but it also made it look really high quality. Super impressed. Yeah, we 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 gave those sideline cameramen. We told them like, get in close, like don't be scared, like <laughs> see how close you can get. Mm-hmm. And it actually was almost a problem for the USA Namibia game because I think the guy took it a little bit too far, <laughs> and he actually almost ran into some of the players like on the back line because he was still kind of close by. But yeah, it was it was neat, and we could actually hear from the mics down below. Like we could hear what they were saying in the huddles. Yeah, right. So there's a couple times where I actually ask my my co-host Uli mm-hmm. what they were saying in there. So it, it was cool. I had to laugh at one one stage, one of the Austrian games, but the camera the cameraman got right up close when their captain I've forgotten his name, but when he got benched, and he he wasn't very happy about it, and they literally just panned it on him as he sort of walked onto the bench and you could tell he was just like come on just get the bloody camera off me (laughs) i'm not happy about being dragged (laughs) because i remember sitting there in the stadium going oh he probably doesn't want it on him that long they were having fun with it though there was there was a moment when uh bruno like made a play that was like he probably shouldn't have gone for a shot but like he pulled it off well and then he like looked at the camera like gave a wink or something and then Corey, my American teammate, he had written something on his sock for one of the players that couldn't make it. And he was able to like pull it up after he had like made a point and like shouted him out. So that's cool. Just like it's little things like that that like really make it fun. Yeah. Talk, just talking about the production though, you know, was it, was there more, do you know if there was more sort of spent in previous years because they were trying to sort of send it to that next level? Or, you know, with the majority of you guys, volunteers you know were there people being paid what sort of the the breakdown of that do you know it it was a little bit of both i mean the people that were on my team so like the broadcast team and the social media team we were all volunteers and then the actual camera crew that was there for the like the stadium games that was a company that's run by this guy marcus who actually did the world games production as well austrian guy he's super super nice very professional and he just he just loves fistball. So while I don't want to speculate into the budget too much because I don't know all the ins and outs, mm-hmm. um, I'm sure that he did the IFA a favor with with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, because something of that quality, if you don't have any sort of like discounts or favors, that's huge. That's a huge yeah. budget. Like there's no way that mm-hmm. that fistball is pulling that off without without some help. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like. Um... Well, none, none of this was specifically said. It really did feel like this World Champs was very much a dedicated showcase World Champs as opposed to maybe some of the, the previous World Champs and maybe also World Champs going forward. It felt very much like the SAP Arena was potentially a once in a blue moon type opportunity, whereas like this is a chance to show what the sport could look like in the future when this is like an affordable option when this is something that that can be done regularly that huge crowd and the production value on that and i just i don't know if it's a sustainable world championship setup i could be wrong but i felt like the costs of that of not only the production stuff but just hiring sap arena for for two days and all the costs that go with that and everything that you have to inherit as part of running SAP Arena for those two days. It feels like perhaps costs that went into that may have been taken out of other parts of the tournament where perhaps that would have usually been. And and thinking about the future of Australian fistball, it didn't that didn't bother me. I thought that's what we need. We've been contacted recently by a, a podcast in uh, in WA 
who saw that video that went reasonably viral of the uh, the Swiss and the Brazilians in that rally, that chaotic, crazy defensive rally where they're just getting every ball back. And I've seen the video of them watching that and kind of going, this sport is crazy. It looks so entertaining. And look how many people are there and like and how athletic they are. And that being able to show that sort of video to people who don't know much about fist sport, they have to see that and go, wow, that's a that's a real sport. Well, it's it's such a... It's such a testament to like how short people's attention spans are, you know, like if you could sit someone like lock people in a room for a case study and have them watch a fistball match, they'd be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's great. But no one's doing that. People are just scrolling through TikTok or reels or whatever, and they got three seconds to to catch your attention. Mm -hmm. And the only way you're going to do that is with exactly what you just said, you know, with with that rally, with with the overlays and the camera angles. Mm -hmm. And that's the state of how things are now. If you want to get people's attention, it's got to be quick and impressive. Absolutely. And some people will see that and they'll go, wow, that's amazing. And then they'll keep scrolling. But there will be a few that will that might look into that further, right? And that's all you need. I think I think the good thing too, we made sure we shared, you know, the links. I was surprised, like so I'm a school teacher, so the number of parents that were like, Oh, you know, we we tuned into one of your games and oh, you know, it looked amazing and I've got one of the mums now that calls me fist pump. because um, <laughs> she thought another another name might not be appropriate so. <laughs> and you know my, my kids were so excited to see me back and for the first couple of days i showed them a few of my games but yeah like you said with the austria brazil game and i think that i think the the first one was the switzerland austria game to get into the final that was pretty amazing too i thought that was probably the, the game of the tournament so i showed parts of that because they had some amazing rallies in that game as well yeah. Yeah, all of all of the games inside the arena, they they all had their own stories to them and background to them that kind of made them even more like interesting to watch and you know, the quality speaks for itself, but like if you really dive deeper into like the history of not only the teams but some individual players as well, you can really find some some interesting stories to talk about and that adds to just how interesting and and exciting some of the matches were. How did you feel about the fixture having one game at a time throughout the entire tournament? Obviously, it meant we had to have less teams, but how did you feel um, as a as a fixture? I think it was nice to have everyone sort of showcased. You know, if you have two games going on at a time, it sort of splits the crowd. I think most people will look at the schedule and kind of pick out the game that they would prefer to see. Mm-hmm. So, like... 2019 we were split up a lot and like some of the games that i was in was like we were split up and we barely had any anyone watching us but then like the games where we were the only people going and we were in the arena and we're playing like germany and switzerland like Mm -hmm. you know that's what people want to do so i think that and rod you can probably speak to this but i think the players sort of appreciated that better like sort of having the full attention of the crowd instead of being just kind of like tucked away onto the side. Yeah, that was definitely one thing that was noticeable is, and I, you know, I again was sort of basing it off 2019 where, you know, when I watched the Aussies play, the majority of their games are on the backcourt outside the stadium. And yeah, you might, you, in the background, you could maybe see 30 or 40 people watching. You don't know what was on the other side. Whereas, you know, probably our lowest crowd game is probably that first Japanese game. And there was still maybe two, 300 people there, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd guess, in that grandstand. Which And the noise that they made was phenomenal. And it was, it just gave you, it gave you those shivers, um, all those, you know, the tingles. Because, 
even 400 people screaming at some of the points in the rallies, you know, when we're never used to that and we're, we're never going to get that over here in Australia mm-hmm. is absolutely amazing. And then, you know, the game that we played before Germany against uh, the Czechs, you know, everyone sort of filed in for that one. So all the stands were, were chockers for that. And, you know, that was, that was amazing, the, the noise from that one. So, yeah, I, I really liked it. And I think it's, you know, whether, whether they went a little bit later into the night, you know, for the next one and included a couple more teams, you know, you throw in maybe one extra one where it starts at 8.30 or 9, like they had there. They had the beer, beer drinkers and by that stage they were pretty rowdy and loud. So, you know, if you're going to have one more later game, it allows those people to come in after work, but also those guys that have been there all day drinking it, they're screaming at the top of their heads <laughs> in that, by that last game. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like, I like the, the singles, but I'd, I'd also like to see, yeah, maybe go back up to 18. And, um, you know, it's just a great experience for as many countries that you could include, I guess. Yeah, I mean, from, from my point of view, in 2019, I think we had three games in the stadium, and one of them was us getting pumped by Namibia which wasn't a great spectacle. We had a good uh, game against Japan, and then we had our final game against Belgium, which was probably the most exciting game, I guess, out of those three. But like it was with SAP Arena, I really appreciated that we all got our showcased games on the main courts with the main crowds. I really appreciated that for this tournament. I think if they have to facilitate an additional court to be able to get through more games and or to have more teams involved i don't mind that as long as it's still a decent sized court that is still being live streamed um so that you don't completely miss out on a, watching back a game that you're a part of because i mean our biggest gripe was that our best game from 2019 was against serbia and there's no footage of that that was our biggest win up until the most recent tournament and there's nothing of that out there so i think you know and you, you want to avoid too much of that debate about who gets the main courts because obviously the big teams will get the main courts because they're the ones that are going to pull in the bigger crowds so you don't want to then have a situation where all the smaller nations are just kind of shafted off outside the stadium as i actually said in that ifa meeting like our games while the quality may not be as high most of them have been quite close, you know, quite exciting games, games that are going to five sets, which is obviously very unusual at the at the top, top level, you know, games where, where you felt like you know, any team could win, you know, they shouldn't be shuffled off um, as being uninteresting because as that Japan game showed, right, like that crowd got into it. I mean, sure, some of those rallies were going for like 25 hits <laughs> <laughs> and so they were building up suspense with every hit, but the crowd was getting into it. They absolutely loved that. Yeah. yeah, I think everyone really just wants to see the rallies. I mean, mostly all of the people there have either played it or have watched it in the past. And it, it pains me to say it, but no one wants to see a surf battle. Nah. It's not the best product, to be honest. You know, if it's just 1v1 and then the defenders have no chance, like it's something that the IFA needs to think about. Cause Maybe Patrick's got to serve from five meters back rather than three meters. <laughs> he's got to have a handicap or he's got to serve left-handed. You joke. But I spoke with uh, Clemens Kronsteiner, and I hope I'm not throwing him under the bus here. I spoke with Clemens in Austria a few days after the championship, and we were talking about this sort of like pseudo issue that Fistball has with the server being too strong. And he actually like legitimately suggested that. So Move the line back. I think it would be an interesting change. Yeah, I mean, even just the ability to like take the effortlessness out of it. Like you have Patrick Thomas standing three meters away from the line. Like he can pummel every square inch of that court mm. like with no problem it's just it makes it impossible as a defense you know you try to shift around and 
make him maybe like think twice about a shot. But other than that, like it's it's inevitable, really. So I don't know. I Let's think see. that's probably why. Like you look back at the the Swiss Austria game, you know that they, they are so evenly matched, and and their strikers, you know, they're not the big tall six foot six guys. They're five ten, six foot maybe. I mean, their serves are still amazing, but they're more gettable. So the rallies in that in that game was were phenomenal. So yeah, that's that makes it hard. I mean, as as amazing as Patrick is, and how great it is for Germany, it sort of monopolizes it a bit for everyone else. And you know, if he was to step out and Nick was serving, or you know, it definitely evens the field out a little bit more. All this to say, I'm I'm not jealous of the IFA planning committee and rules committee because I mean, talking about the structure, talking about the rules, like. There's not really one set way to appease everyone, I don't think. But I think, given everything that went into this, I think it was a it was a top notch tournament that that went on. Yeah, yeah. What do you think were the biggest stories to come out of it? I listed a few there uh, in the rundown, but uh, uh, obviously we talked about SAP Arena and the atmosphere. I think one of the stories for better or for worse probably is the surface. Just that's probably one of the reasons why I think it's also not really a potentially a repeatable performance in in the future but some changes would need to be made just because it as soon as you walked in it was clear that the balance was struggling i think you're always going to have issues on any playing surface uh i mean you look at world games in in poland that field was a swamp like mm-hmm. people weren't even letting the ball bounce like and then argentina 2015 it was like concrete ball was just bouncing all over the place so it's like you always have to manage like regardless of the surface and absolutely if all you have to do is send the the ball higher i think in terms of playing conditions it could have been much worse but you never had any like weird bounces off of a strike it was pretty true the ball would always keep going straight yeah yeah it it was definitely tougher for uh bounce setting that's for sure but just being down there and like feeling how like soft it was Mm. it it felt like playing on carpet and as a defender if it was coming right at you like you you had a pretty true straight line to it i was surprised we obviously did the walk around so we didn't get to play on it but you didn't see it deviate much but when we went for a walk across it there were where the joins were there was definitely divots and higher patches and i was you know i was surprised more you know like an ankle didn't get done or something rolling on it because of that that factor and, I, and when they when i saw them rolling it out I, I did think maybe they would put like a a layer of something underneath to help sort of bind it together maybe like plastic with little sort of tiny little sort of teeth that would grip it and stop any sort of movement from them i mean they were big chunks of turf but you you see in the aussie rules you know when they lay turf down a guy gets tackled on it or he takes off and sometimes the turf can just move so mm. yeah it was it was good that none of that happened but i would have thought they would have had it there for the week or at least five or six days to really settle in and they can punch out any holes or any you know discrepancies in the in the leveling of it mm-hmm. um, but it was really done the night before yeah I was sort of, you know, manically putting it in. It was always going to be filled with risk. I mean, I'm sure they did tons of tests and, and, and you know, at the end of the day, everyone's playing on the same field. The quality of the games was still super high. When you first walked in, yeah, you were like, oh, geez, it's not bouncing much. But as you continued watching it, like everyone, those teams adapted. It became uh, just part of the experience, I think. But you compare it to, um, what was the uh, the other one called? Ryan, Ryan Recker. Ryan Nakar. Ryan Nakar Stadium. When we first rocked up, I remember thinking, oh, God, it looks like it's uh, got a bit of a weird curve in the field. And so I thought, oh, that's a bit unusual. But then once we, once we actually start playing it on it, 
I think that was probably the best fistball field we've ever played on. And you talk about the World Games field. Like, we had pouring rain for, I don't know how many days in a row there in Mannheim, and it just held up so well. Like, there was no giant muddy patches where you could put all your drop shots into, you know, there was no, um, you know, it slipped and slid a bit as it should, but it held up really well. You know, obviously the warm-up courts didn't go the same way, but those courts themselves, I, I didn't feel like the rain had any impact other than showing us up for a technique, but uh <laughs> the other teams did really well, I think, when it when it was raining. Yeah, it skidded off. I think, I mean, obviously they had good drainage and that, mm-hmm. that pitch in the middle of the field allows for, you know, it not to pull. So what we thought was going to be a bit strange and, you know, constantly running uphill from either end. <laughs> no impact. Ended up working out quite well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, made my, just made my calves tight, that's all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's such a, a testament to the the staff and the the little like subcommittees of the IFA that they've made like Gustau being the head of the technical team like mm-hmm. he's so like dedicated to just the quality of the fields and the refereeing and under his leadership like everything there was like really top notch and Valentin Weber the head of the media team like again like such a professional and like really keeps us all in line and makes sure that we're always doing all the small details so it gives me a lot of hope for the future because once you have these like committees made and they can sort of like make it their own then the quality only gets better from there yeah the blueprint's Um, there now isn't it mm -hmm. yeah and and making that infrastructure is like honestly like one of the hardest parts of trying to grow any organization uh, as i'm sure you guys are well aware down there in uh in australia but um yes but i think my biggest storyline from this world championship was just how many people we may not ever see again put on a jersey for their national team Mm. i mean every team you could talk about i mean especially like u.s guys like there's people that had done three four or five world championships and now Mm -hmm. are you know married with kids and aren't trying to move on yeah italy like pretty Mm -hmm. much their entire starting lineup is probably going to retire i think valentine's 31 at the back there he's probably the only one that might stick around moritz Mentz, the other striker moritz is probably going to stick around yeah but their setter i think was 40 wasn't he yeah, Simon, right? A little mustachio. Simon. <laughs> mustachio. Prudenciati. Twisty mustache. Yeah. I was actually having a conversation, and I, th- I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but with Todd, and he was, I mean, he's a good athlete. He's 40 like myself, and it's chalk and cheese in the way our bodies look, but he's he, he was very keen to go, go on again. So. Definitely. That, that guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we'll discuss that. That guy is a, a, a fierce competitor, and he's in really good shape, so I, I think he'll he'll run it back. Or even some, uh, someone from uh, Italy. I mean, for a 40-year-old bloke, he is he is fast. I mean, he, he probably could run it back if he had to, but Chile have a little bit of it as well. Yeah. Um, they're going to have to work out who's going to continue on. How much do you refresh the the team because you know all of these teams well at least since i've been part of it most of these teams have almost held their position in the in the rankings right and it's because they've had the same players for the whole time that i've um, been watching it so like at some point you've got to refresh and if you want to hold your position you got to do it particularly with world games on the line and that sort of thing it's a lot of decisions to be made but you're right. It's going to be some interesting teams in four years' time, for sure. Yeah, and, and the rise of, uh, of some some young teams, Denmark, like, mm. who would have who predicted how well they did? And uh, a lot of their young guys really stepping up. 
I talked to them a bunch at the after party and I got some like 19, 20, 20 run year old guys and they're like mm -hmm. hungry and fearless. And yeah, I think they're going to make a, a serious push, especially if they keep playing in Germany. Yeah. There was one game, I can't remember who they were playing, it was maybe Germany or in, in one of the pools and they gave a crack to the young guys and, and he's a tall, skinny blonde guy and he could hammer the, the serves down mm -hmm. and really get onto him. He kind of looked like a young Patrick Thomas in red rune rune henriksen yeah is that his name is that shout yeah shout out to rune yeah so he uh he, he really impressed me and i think coming from us for australia you know we probably we regenerated really well i think with with our sydney guys um and then getting you know morley josh bevis some of the guys that hadn't played before but i think we're still lacking that really really powerful attacker that can hammer the serves down so, you know, whether that's within us and they just get stronger, say Lewis and Nilla get stronger and, you know, Jackson will probably eventually move to a, the attacking, striking role, but still we're lacking the power. And, and obviously a lot of that comes from technique. So, you know, we're, we're, I guess we're lucky that these guys, for us, only have 10 months of playing up their sleeve. Mm -hmm. Give them another four years and hopefully it's a different story. Yeah. Yeah, Denmark have a huge advantage just being able to play in the German league and get those guys that are hungry Giving, giving them frequent exposure to, to high-level fistball. Because they were like, you know, we played them four years ago and we took them to five sets and we could have even won that game. And quite a few of the guys in that team were in this team, the older guys in particular. But this time around, I mean, we took two sets off them mostly because of, I mean, we played okay, but they also made quite a few errors in defense and, and in attack. And in this one, they were, they were so clean and they were so... I don't know, their skills were so sharp and they were so fast getting to the balls, you know, good technique. They were super impressive. I was really impressed. I actually gave them a chance against Italy and to be honest, they did really push them early on in that game before they eventually faded away. But they, they could be really interesting at the next one, but then how much further can they push up? I guess that depends on what Italy does, what Chile does going forward. Yeah, I think, I think if they stick with it, and it sounds like they are, I think they definitely have a chance to crack, uh, perhaps bold prediction, but I think they have a chance to crack like top seven, top six. Mm -hmm. I think too, the, Ar the Argentinians have those two young attackers, which didn't see a lot of game time, but they were only 19 and 20, I think. They mainly played against us. They kind of put on their, their second team, and I think we got four, three, and four off them. But again, yeah, give them some more time, and I think they'll be offsetting the, the loss of some of their older guys. I think the other big story was the the late entrance of our apparent arch rivals Belgium after India uh, had to withdraw once again. Pretty pretty impressive. I mean, not just that they were able to to say yes, but then they were able to get a full team, not ten players obviously, but they were able to get enough players to field uh, a full team for each game on incredibly short notice. Um, although I think they were they were suspecting it might go this way, but on such short notice to pull a team together and then to finish bloody twelfth in a sixteen team comp, that's that's super impressive. I have to say, as much as it pains me, yeah, to say. <laughs> definitely. I mean, just looking at the human aspect, you know, a couple of days out being like, hey, can you take off like a week, six days, five days, however amount of time that we need you to to play in this thing? It's super impressive, and uh, yeah, just couldn't have happened to some better guys they're all just top top fellas and uh yeah i was happy for them but i i feel so bad for india you know mm -hmm. they're really passionate about it over there and yeah. they they don't really have the means that a lot of the other nations do in terms of infrastructure or equipment or supplies and they 
they almost had every everything covered up until that that last step of the the visa process so but it was it was still nice to see a full 16 team competition i did see i don't know if he's one of their players i think his name's harry Harmon, um and i saw him just recently he's in europe so whether he actually did have a ticket and he's he's thought oh, i may as well use it and head head over but yeah i do like you said i do feel sorry for them because obviously if they have outlaid their air tickets you know i don't think they come from a lot of money so that would have put it that would have been a lot of effort to get those tickets and then for them to potentially go to waste is pretty heartbreaking for them so hope, hopefully if they, they get a second chance to to come to one of the tournaments they're more organized and you know because they they do seem to have a lot of numbers and they got a lot of juniors playing from what they showcase on their socials yeah and and that's what we need you know independent of the the quality of of all the teams like honestly like none of us hold a candle to the quality of the European and South American teams, but like the only way that we get to that next level is if we get more regions involved and, and passionate about it. And for, for this to not go according to plan for India is definitely a blow. You know, Belgium's going to keep playing. You know, they, they got plenty of tournaments that they can go to within a couple hours, you know, train ride. But, you know, where else is India going to play? Their, their closest tournaments are to, to you guys in Australia or, you know, maybe if Japan holds something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's tough. Maybe the Pakistanis might uh, get up and running c- again. come out of the woodwork again, yeah. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think, I mean, the question seems to be if they are committing to a tournament, like all the organisers need to get on the front foot with them and start the process incredibly early because it does feel like the visa situation is something that comes to a head really late in the piece every interaction that we've had with them they were able to turn up to one tournament in australia but it all sounded like it was all done very late you know so i don't know whether it's something that needs to start earlier or that particularly for an ifa tournament maybe the ifa needs to be involved from the get-go and almost facilitating the visa approval um, for india somehow um, just to make sure they're also applying for the right visa i don't know maybe none of this is helpful at all and maybe it was always going to be an issue but um like you i would really love to see india at these tournaments because they are a neighbor and we'd like to play them more often and they are super passionate and even when they came to australia that one time they had the time of their life and they you know they were competitive and they were gracious and they even though they you know they got there a day late they had to play all their games in a single day after waking up at I think three or four a.m. to get a flight, and they're all cramping by the end of the ga- by the end of the day. But they were still they were still loving it, and they were having a great time. So it would be nice yeah, if there's anything we can do to try to overcome this hurdle to get them involved again. Uh, so if you had to vote, what was your biggest uh, what was your biggest story from the tournament? Um, yeah, I think again, just the the changing of the guard was always something that I was talking about on broadcasts. There's just so many teams that you know this was the the last hurrah for a lot of them so just seeing how they went out you know how it added or took away perhaps from their from their legacies as players and teams and then probably a close second being being Denmark and their very very good performance I think I think for me um, along with those is just the like the, the SAP arena pulling it off and getting the crowds I think it was about 8,000 for the Friday and then 10 and a half or something for the Saturday, which was amazing considering, you know, you walk down Mannheim and, you know, you're in your Aussie shirt and people still have no idea about the sport. So to get 10 and a half thousand people there, 
and pro- most likely probably not from Mannheim, you know, coming coming from abroad, uh, I think was a, a, an amazing effort. Yeah, I think for me it's the um, it's a mixture of that, the SAP Arena, plus the, the, the coverage, the quality of the coverage, and the not even just the quality of the games, but being able to watch them back that evening was huge as a coach, <laughs> being able to actually, you know, be able to review our game within the space of a day, but then... Watching it back now, the you know the replays, the slow motion stuff, that was stuff that we'd never had in the past and really appreciated that. And then for that to flow into the SAP arena and the quality of that presentation, I just think it's going to be huge for huge for Fistball going forward. I think just, just sorry to add one more thing is the uh, quality of the commentary too. Of course, uh, top notch. Next level, yeah. I was going to say, whenever you want to send something over for uh, doing your match analysis for you, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll send you my address. We might have to film just a... A crappy uh, fist of us round, and then you can commentate over the top of it, make up some names, and we can use it as a promo. S- send me a feed. I'll, I'll pull an all nighter and do your commentary for you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll pay for your beer. Or, or hey, just let me know when it is. I'd, I'd love to come out to Australia. Oh, I would love to have you. Yeah, it's for sure. <laughs> fist. fist. Boy. It's a good segue, though. You were the uh, number one. Commentator at the uh, at the tournament along with uh, Uli. What's Uli's last name? Reisner. With Uli Reisner, who's I think he he was in a couple of days into the tournament, right? Like you were solo for the first few days. Yeah, which was a surprise to me until I arrived. Oh, okay. <laughs> he just he he sent me a text on the first day. He's like, "Hey, man, how's it going? I'll be there on I think it was Tuesday afternoon." I was like. Okay. Right. Sure. And even then, he still had to work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the morning. All right. So I was essentially alone for the first two full days and then the first half of the next two days. And then I had help from him. So, yeah, it was uh, was a lot of games. I think I – so there were 52 games throughout the whole tournament. I did 40 of them completely alone, <laughs> and I did eight of them with Uli. I only had four of them where Uli covered the whole thing. Right. Jesus. God. They're long days. It was, it was daunting. I think for, you know, hopefully if someone is listening out there, to, to realize if you do go back and watch any of their games, you don't really have a background in commentating before, have you? Have you done anything like that remotely similar in America? or Not really, no. So I did a... Corey Don, uh, U.S. national player, good good friend of mine. Him and I, over the pandemic, we uh, we did a live stream of the Austrian like bubble championship that they did, oh, just because yeah. we had nothing else to do. Yeah. So we just tuned into that, and we were just chatting about it. And I think at times I would do like play by play, but for the most part, we were just like shooting the shit and like we were just hanging out. So that was really the only broadcast experience that I had. Like officially, it wasn't until the World Games last year that I was kind of just thrown into it. So I was just emulating every sports commentator that I <laughs> heard up until that point. You know, I, I watch a lot of sports, you know, in my free time. So just like I'm just going to pretend I'm, I'm one of them. And uh, if I'm watching a game anyway... I'm sure I'm insufferable to the people next to me, just like talking about <laughs> all the things that happened. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just trying to like channel that, but make it more professional. I would have, um, so over in Australia here, we used to have a commentator called Dennis Committee who did the Aussie rules. 
and he was he was very famous for his cliches and one of his ones was like centimeter perfect and a worm burner so like you know imagine patrick thomas's ball hit the grass and skid off it burns the worm worms so i think um what what we might do for the next world champs is we'll give you a, a series of aussie sort of commentary uh slang and the meanings of them and you've got to somehow throw them in there <laughs> for some of the games i would love that Auss- aussie slang is insane to me it's always so funny like the, I, I don't know where you guys come up with half of the things you say I think we're just lazy half the time, so... You just say the first <laughs> word that comes to mind. As long as it rhymes. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing, too, that maybe maybe Milne might be able to relate to this one, but through the commentary, too, you are often able to either pick out, you know, good placements, but you're also like, oh, you know, yeah, that setting's a little bit off. So I know when we watched a few of our games and you, you, your commentary sort of said, oh, you know, that set's just not quite there. As a coach and, and as a player, you're kind of like, oh, absolutely, you know, I need to be pushing it that next foot ahead. Whereas when you're actually playing and you're in front and you're, you know, especially the us setters for M&I, you think, oh, okay, I've got it within the three or I've sort of landed it on the three, so it's not too bad. But when you've got that side on action and you've got the commentary, you're like, yeah, actually not as good as I thought. So I actually found, I actually found it really helpful as well with your commentary in that, in that aspect, which was well, I, I like to hear that and I hope that I wasn't I, I tried to be fair and, and not like mean about it mm-hmm. you know there's there's some matches where like if all I'm doing is criticizing what they could have done better that's all I would be saying and that's not what anyone wants to hear so no. it's like finding that balance between recognizing accomplishments and like pointing out the action but you know occasionally dropping in like oh maybe maybe next time they can do it a little closer or a little harder or a little closer to the line so yeah i think and i think that's what you did well because for me if i was to be commentating i'd probably be going oh all he had to do is take another step and he would have got there you know he's just got to push that bit harder or he's uh, he's just he's rocking back too much or it's so easy to just pick the negatives, yeah. especially in our games you know, or the lower games where there are more mistakes. So yeah, it's being mindfulness of uh, positives or balancing it out. So mainly positive. Yeah. And, and that comes from a couple of different places too. I remember watching back some of the coverage from the previous world championships and some of the commentary was just like a lot more like blatantly negative towards some of the less established nations mm-hmm. and you could you could sort of hear it in their voice like they they know that like these guys are not at that high level yet so they were kind of like talking down to them a little bit mm. and as a player if i want to watch that back or like send it to someone else to watch like you don't want to hear that like that's not no. it just it hurts you know this is something that we all work really hard at and to have that sort of immortalized forever as like oh, that set wasn't good enough or like he really chose the wrong shot on that one. It's like you can do that sometimes if it's like a, a good criticism, but for media coverage, you just have to find the, the positive and the fun and the excitement in it and, mm-hmm. you know, leave leave the criticism to uh, just like tasteful little little morsels every, every now and then. Yeah, yeah, because it's really important for, particularly for the less established nations to acknowledge the fact that most of us have not been playing for very long and we don't have... The, the structures in place. We don't have the regular competition in place. We don't have academies. We don't have you know, many youth players. But the guys that are out there, they're giving everything and they've trained super hard for this. And in their mind, they might feel like they're playing terrible or they might feel like they're playing okay. And so 
to kind of just crap on that would not be very productive for anyone that's not it's not fun for the viewer either kind of just listening to i've been at plenty of football games where someone is complaining about the game the entire time and it just kind of just ruins the mood be able to kind of lower the expectations a little bit and kind of find the baseline of the teams that are playing and then be able to criticize or praise from that point of view as opposed to taking a german view down and kind of going well yeah they're terrible you know in comparison to how awesome we are (laughs) um yeah, absolutely. I do remember some. I remember some iconic commentary from uh, like Alvin's pretty great. He's quite amusing. And they had there's a commentary from the 2019 one. I don't know if you watched that one back against Japan. And they were kind of you know they were teasing us a little bit, but it was it was good natured because some of the uh, the rallies were going for so long. Classic Australia Japan rallies apparently. But I do remember watching it because I was playing in that game. And there was one where there was a defensive ball. I can't remember who hit it. Might have been Paolo, maybe hit it forward. And then I did a set. It was a nice high set, perfect, you know, in my mind, bounced pretty close to the net. And then JD hit it, got a good contact on it, hit it to the side. And and Alvin was like, all right, all right, that's good. That looks like fistball. That's great. And (laughs) even even though he was saying it like that, to me, that was like, yeah, damn straight. That looked like fistball. (laughs) That's like the highest praise. That one shot throughout the whole match. We've got some fistball, guys. We're back on. We're here. Just the backhanded compliment. (laughs) That's great. I loved it. But yeah, so your your days must have been super long, right? Oof, boy, boy, were they? <laughs> yeah, we we were uh, yeah breakfast at like eight uh, over to the stadium by like nine fifteen. First game at ten. Yeah, it was eight eight games a day for the first few days. So I I didn't have too much time between games. I mean, if it was a sweep, then I would have more time to like get a meal. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it was like yeah, fifteen. 20 minutes or so just to you know get a get a little bit of a drink prep a little bit more for the next match uh maybe grab a a snack if you could Mm -hmm. but then i would like i'd climb down from the booth and i'd run into like three four people that i hadn't seen in a while Mm -hmm. and then i gotta do like all the catch-up and conversations so i just never stopped talking the entire week i never said more words in my entire life than that week so yeah it's it was long days it must be it must be a hell of a come down at the end like just like as a commentator you have to and not that i've done it but i just know that you have you have to be switched on at all times otherwise you're going to find yourself just watching the game and you're going to go silent you know so you always have to be thinking about things you can talk about and if you're doing that for like 10 hours a day it must be a hell of a come down when everything was all said and done yeah i mean it's exactly how you said you got to be switched on the entire time and uh completely focused on you know the next point the grander scheme of the the game the tournament Mm -hmm. it really is a a brain switch like i really shut out like anything else that's going on in my mind and then as soon as i'm done i'm like what just happened (laughs) it even it carries it carries over to like into my speaking voice too i remember in the world games i would get calls from my parents sometimes between the games and they're like why why are you talking like that <laughs> it's just like a, a completely different voice to how i normally speak so yeah it's it's a complete mental shift when you're when you're up there you mentioned before about your prep before the games but you know how, how much did you actually have to do you know researching players or you you know, messaging teams, what what sorts of things were you doing to get the, those little interesting sort of know-hows for each team? Um, so I did just some initial research on my own, just like combing the internet for like past stats or 
watching some old games. I did reach out, or at least try to reach out, to all of the countries that I didn't really have a ton of information on to try to set up interviews. It proved to be pretty difficult. I was only really able to sit down and talk to Sam Kemp from New Zealand and uh, Christian Sanchez from Chile, but he was easy because he was an old teammate of mine. I was like, yo, I need to talk to you. He's like, okay. So I wanted to do interviews with everyone and I had like a full list of things that I wanted to ask, but I was only able to talk to two, but in the end it ended up not mattering a ton. I wish I would have gotten more time to do that but the first couple of days when we were there just like warming up i was able to talk to all the teams like i just like parked myself by the practice fields and i i would like talk to the coaches and sort of get the skinny that way and then i actually recorded this like 25 minute long prediction video for the whole tournament and then at the end i realized that my camera wasn't on so it's only audio <laughs> so that was uh so that was fun. So predicting places or? Yeah, all of the groups, all of the placement games and all the placements and stuff. So yeah, the whole... How close did you get? I was pretty close. Yeah, I mean, the surprises were obviously Chile, Denmark, and then Namibia really were the only ones that were kind of out of place. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of had like this head heart prediction for the the top four where I really thought Brazil could do it. Mm. But uh, Patrick Thomas is still a person. So uh, that's, it didn't happen. (laughs) Wow, jury's out. Or is he? Could be an android. Yeah. That's true. That's true. We don't, we don't have the results yet. Where did, where did you have Australia? Uh, where did I have them? I, I think I have it up here. My, my predictions. Oh, I didn't have it written down, but I think I had you 12th or 13th, one of those. Hmm. roundabout and i think i think for us too you know you know when i'm chatting to everyone back here how did you go and you know you say 14th out of 16th i think in hindsight you know you look at that belgium game that just got away from us mm-hmm. and that second check game where we knew we know we could have beaten them so ideally I, you know i think we probably should have come up against new zealand again and and fought out for the 11th and and 12th and i think 12th sounds just so much better than 14th <laughs> um i know the kiwis yeah. were really pushing for that top 10 mm-hmm. and I think you know you look at them they're not far off but they're just lacking another strong attacker you know they really rely on Josh and you know Big Billy and McSweeney you know have got some power behind them but you know it's Josh is that next level and I think if the Kiwis are going to push they definitely need that second strong attacker because of their defense and the, you know the, the, the back three are pretty good yeah, and it's just, you know, it's consistency is the name of the game too. Mm-hmm. You know, small small mistakes will kill you at, at any level. So having someone that can, you know, put together, a, you know, a perfect or near-perfect shift is uh, pretty crucial at that level. I, I thought Josh, you know, their, their main striker, I thought Josh was a, a volleyballer, but apparently he's, you know, got a strong tennis background, which obviously with serving and stuff massively helps. But, you know, even more impressive because our guys are all sort of volleyball backgrounds. We've got a team mainly of volleyball ballers and then you've got Busey and myself who are Aussie rules footy players. So, you know, we've got that there. Whereas I think the Kiwis, I'm not sure what a lot of the backgrounds are for, for those guys. Definitely probably rugby for some of them. Yeah, the Kemp boys are volleyball backgrounds. And you're right though, like um, Josh, he's, he does also jump off one leg, which is something the volley, most of the volleyballers don't do. They still jump off the two feet just because it comes more naturally to them but it feels like josh is able to get a bit more punch on his on his hits because of that forward momentum from jumping off the one foot 
he feels he seems very comfortable with that and with the with the um the drop shot yeah the drop shot where he kind of hides it pretty well he can hide it so well yeah that i i completely and my apologies to josh because he he knows i have just so many good things to say about him he was him and new zealand in general were my other big story from the tournament they really competed and made some like really impressive plays so i think this will just fuel them to push even more for the next time but yeah josh josh is a beast yeah yeah it says something about the pecking order in fistball that you know i was obviously there four years ago and the kiwis were very good in that tournament but they were a lot better in this tournament and they still finished 11th and it's not even like they fell apart or anything they still were super competitive to the end but just those teams above them Namibia and, and the US just a little bit more experienced and still able to to hold them off so yeah if they can keep those guys together and if we can keep some regular games going with them they should continue to get better and like you know with like you're saying Rod like when I say to people that we finished 14th I usually throw in a caveat of if you were to put together a highlight highlights package of the Aussies playing defensively attacking setting then you would kind of go oh they're definitely top 12 it's just the consistency from most of the guys having not played for that long and the team not really having played together that much yeah it was the little mistakes like you said they're crucial and that's what ended up losing us that game against belgium and and then again that final game against the czechs but and i think for the for the younger guys too it's you know tommy hopefully won't mind me me picking him out here but tommy will do five amazing shots in a row and then bang one out one out of nowhere would just come you know, and, and that's where the difference is or, you know, it happens to all of us too, you know, setting, M&I setting and the attackers and, you know, all the defenders. You know, we can do maybe three in a row, but then we've got that fourth one, whereas you watch those other teams and they just don't make as many mistakes. It's more they're just getting beaten by a good ball. Mm-hmm. Whereas those bottom teams, you know, from from probably even, well, even Namibia and America down, there's still those mistakes in the games as opposed to clean winners. And I think... We just need that consistency. And I definitely think we're going to improve next time around, especially if those six Sydney boys stick around. And I know, I know someone like Morley, he's just turned 35. He's actually got his birthday tonight. Nice. Uh, with, with Ben Hughes, Jason's brother. And uh, Pope Pope was just messaging me before, just saying, wow, this is a different crowd here. They're, <laughs> they're getting on it. But he's just turned 35 and he was like, I'm keen to come back again. And if they can rope in as a... Hopefully he listens to this, but if they can rope in a bloke <laughs> called Matt Richards, he is—he's the guy that we need. Like he, he's got that power. He's still pretty young too. So yeah, Richo, if you're out there, yeah, he's, I think he's 31 or two, 31 or two now, I think. But yeah, Richo, if you're listening, mate, book your <laughs> ticket for the next World Champs and rock up to training because we desperately want That's you. That's the key. Rock up to training. <laughs> uh. Yeah. Fist. All right, let's let's segue because we did talk a little bit about it, but um, let's talk about USA Fistball Canada. Now that we've got you on the the podcast, uh, we touched on it as well early on about the ages. Like, where where does USA Fistball go from here? What do you think? Uh, we're in a rebuild for sure. Um, yeah, this was the last championship for uh, at least a few of the guys, and uh, just outside of that, like outside of the national team, like it's really been the same crowd coming out. Like we really haven't had a ton of new players out East by me. We've had a decent influx of uh, like college age players. And then we actually have in New Jersey, uh, a couple of the players own this like volleyball clinic. 
and they've actually baked fistball into their volleyball training and they're actually like sort of selling it as like a, an add-on to the training it's like you know the the last like half hour you can try this new sport and it's actually stuck for a lot of these like high school and middle school age volleyball players that do have like really good technique so we're really focusing more on just getting our player base back up getting youth involved establishing that infrastructure that we really need to to push the next step uh, obviously, guys like myself and Corey and Todd, if he sticks around, uh, Danny Simon, who was uh, in the defense for the first time, mm-hmm. uh, he's really motivated to keep with it. So it's just, yeah, we're just we're just trying to get more more people in the door and uh, trying to teach it the right way. But more importantly, it's just inspiring players that love the sport enough to to help out with those other things outside of just playing that we really, really need in terms of organization and teaching and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, little things like social media and all this stuff is like, it all works together. So, yeah, uh, yeah all this to say we have our core group, but yeah, we, we're really trying to get new new players yeah. involved. What, what do you, so I think chatting to, I can't remember whether it was you or Corey, but are you still mainly playing at a sort of German clubs? Is that is that where the fields are set? Mm-hmm. So for us here in Australia, sort of our, our big, which is not great for the world champs, but our, our major pulling power is, hey, come on down, you can have a beer while you play. You know, we're, we're really encouraging. It's it's a really social, fun vibe. You know, I know because over in the states, most colleges have you know scholarship volleyballers and a volleyball team. Do any of the clubs have any colleges nearby that, you know, you can be like, hey, we sell beers while you, while you play and, you know, bring on 20 of you down and come get drunk and try this sport? Like, <laughs> have you ever, have, do you go that way or do you more sort of try to go organically and, you know, bring a friend of a friend sort of thing along? Yeah, that was that was the approach for a while, just kind of selling that like, you know, it's a it's a nice party. You, you meet some new people and, uh, you know, you just bring a friend of a friend and just have a good time with it. And that seemed to work for a little while, but we're really seeing a shift now. One, because the two existing clubs that we have are not exactly like close to any universities. So it is a bit of a drive. But two, we're also seeing that a lot of the, the young guys that we're getting in like aren't really into the like partying and drinking culture very much. They just like the the camaraderie and uh, just having a something active to do with with friends. So our biggest push is utilizing the partnerships that we have in volleyball. We have quite a few people that either work with clinics or other organizations that set up volleyball leagues. We're gonna test out adding a volleyball league to my club, Phoenix. And then just having like one half of the fields are all grass volleyball fields. And then the other half dedicated to fistball. So like we'll have our trainings, they'll have their volleyball. And then if they want to come over and, and give it a try, hopefully we get some people that it sticks that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're, we're trying to trying to get in that way. But again, it's a lot of infrastructure and some initial groundwork that we need to do to, to really build that up quicker. I think you guys have sort of got that the added bonus of having, you know, having some German clubs or, you know, club rooms or, or areas where you can, you know, call home. We've got the baseball club down in Geelong, which are great and they do an amazing thing. But, you know, ideally, 
if one of us wins Tats Lotto, we can purchase some land, set up a club room, put on two fields. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, like the Germans had, like have those in, in Offenburg, they had two fields, club room, and, you know, it was just such a good community feel. And mm-hmm. if we could get something like that, whether it's in Geelong or Melbourne or, you know, I, I wouldn't dare probably risk it in uh, Sydney or Melbourne's real estate. You'd be well on the outskirts. But, you know, that's what we're probably pining for. So Gina Reinhardt, if you're out there, that 15 million that you took back from the, from the netball sponsorship into fistball, because yeah, that's where you're going to get people down and be like, hey, you know, Offenberg had like a little trampoline and playground for kids, and yeah. there's things for kids to do. Yeah, that's what we that's what we're crying out for. Yeah, we we want to utilize our existing clubs that we've had fistball events before. Like we have the pole sleeves, we have all the equipment. The fields are nice sort of using them as like central hubs for like tournaments and uh, like formal training. But honestly, like there's so few of us that help out with the the planning and the just all the nuts and bolts of like what makes a club run that it's important for us to use existing infrastructure. And my big push that I'm going to make in the next year is trying to get high school and colleges to create club teams. Mm-hmm at their institutions just pitching it like look this is not a difficult thing to set up you know if you if you can set it up here are the rules we'll send you some balls and a a net make it just an after school club you know and if you're good enough we have youth teams that we can you know youth national teams and we can help provide for sending these teams to the international tournaments and sort of using that as a as a sales pitch because like none of us have the time to organize more than just our club so we need to put the onus on the the local schools and universities to sort of pick it up and carry it to the next step themselves yeah get it into uni games as well something like that as well yeah that would be yeah that, for sure. that would be good for us we do, we do the uh the teacher games in in victoria so one of the school holidays you know there's teacher games so maybe i get on the board there and introduce fistball and then everyone will be like what the hell is that send out a quick video because you only need five players make it mixed and away they go. I think it's the play. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what the US team looks like in four years' time because, yeah, I think from my calculations, seven of the players are were 36 or over for this tournament, so they'll be all over 40. And if you go by the publication, I think... Um, who was it? So, <laughs> Todd. I think Todd will be... Uh, apparently he'll be nearly 50, according to this publication, uh, by the time the next World Championships comes around. <laughs> There was a typo, I believe. I think it says born in 1978 or something. Um, <laughs> wow. A little whoopsie there. I think he's 83 like me. <laughs> How old's Matt? Matt? Matt the same age as Todd? Yeah. I, now, he, he was the one that surprised me, Big Matty, because when I looked at him, I thought, geez, he's going to be America's big, strong, powerful attacker. And then you run out onto the field and he's in the back, he's in the back left as a defender. I was like, hang on, what's going on here? But he, what's what's his background? Is he... He's, he's the old beach partner, volleyball partner of Todd, is that right? Yeah, Matt and Todd played beach together for a long time. And uh, and and Todd played more of, I think he played a lot more indoor earlier on, so he does have that, like, powerful approach. But, like, you can see it with Matt. Like, he's, well, I guess because you didn't see him attack uh, this time around, but for the longest time his attack approach was just, like, he had a wicked short ball. He could do like cut shots where like it was bouncing inside the three meter line and out of bounds, 
and he was just placing the ball. Like he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have that like super powerful hit to the back line shot. Love you, Matt. It's just that's that's his game. And uh, unfortunately, at the top level, it helps when you're six six foot eight. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You could hit any of like the inside parts of the court and just make it a nightmare for the front guys on the other side of the field. But yeah, and then he's just he's got such great control. And uh, I actually pitched it to head coach Ron at the last World Championship. I was like, look, Matt's Matt's a really good passer and setter, and he's wicked tall. Just throw him in the back. If someone's having a bad game, just put him in the back row. Hmm. He takes two steps and he gets to a ball. Like, just try it out. <laughs> and then they put him in one game and Stuck. he liked it. And he's like, all right, I guess this is where I am now. So, yeah. so from your starting five, because I think there was a couple of guys that really didn't see a lot of game time. Is that is that right? Yeah, Danny Simon, the young guy who played in defense, he didn't get a ton of playing time. I was, I was really gutted for him. I thought he should have seen the field more. He's really quick. He's really good attitude. He's definitely still in the mix. I think he'll sort of be the future in the back line but yeah we really don't have much else in the in the back row at least right now uh we do have some young guys coming through the ranks but they definitely need more of that formal training um so yeah lots of question marks so you're probably looking at about probably two of them sticking around from that starting five probably three i think starting five did change a little bit yeah i think you'll see todd and Corey up front for a decent amount of time and then danny in the back my club teammate Spencer is a really good striker, really fit guy. I think he'll be in the mix for next time around. So yeah, there's some. We just gotta, you know, keep with it. But those are really the the main guys that I see for the next time out. And you gotta you gotta fill us in quickly with the uh, the injury update. We had our that was probably the only injury I saw at Sap Arena. Was it a calf calf muscle? Torn torn calf. Yeah, Ooh. mom mom is very close to that. So <laughs> I'd said to me when he. My last game, get me off. I'm cooked. <laughs> before I had to be, before I had to hobble off. <laughs> yeah, he's he's still got a, a pretty long recovery road, Aaron. But I'm glad he got to to play in the arena at least for a little bit. There, it's probably his last foray into the national team. Yeah, yeah. You have to um, you have to get the Ice Boys in the national team. Shout out to the Ice Boys. Good good social media presence. Oh yes. <laughs> yes we love the ice boys dude they already got some social media stuff up that's got like tens of thousands of hits on youtube oh, i'm yeah. like good on you guys keep it up yeah, they're yeah. just like so positive and fun and yeah they're they're great they brought so many new people into the mix and uh they really love they came out to yona yeah so they just they've only been playing for like a year and they flew a squad out to yona those crazy guys that's awesome and awesome. uh they actually won a game so uh so there's that can you? I, I don't know who they are. And probably a lot of the listeners don't. Who are who are the Ice Boys? Oh, so they're a, a local bunch of uh, college kids in South Jersey, and uh, yeah, I guess Corey got them into the mix somehow. I forget how that connection was made, but yeah, so they just started playing at my club in Philly because it was close. They they drive up like an hour and a half to North Jersey to train with them, and they're just a, a group of excited young college guys and just out of college guys that are they just they love the sport and they love playing so awesome yeah we love the ice boys <laughs> shout out shout out to ice boys <laughs> Fist. Boy. i have a i have seven quick questions here let's see if we can smash through them i'll go we'll go round table style i'll start with you rug because you're the next one down in my video call uh, how many more world championships will Patrick Thomas play in? And just as a note, he is 
currently 31 years of age, I believe. And he's played in four so far since 2011. So if he comes back next time, he'll be his fifth and he'll be 35. How many more is he going to do? Yeah, I guess it's just, I guess it's the dedication he wants to put in. You know, he's probably going to get to the stage where he has kids. I don't know if he's got kids at the moment, but I know his brother, is it Serby's brother that mm-hmm. has a little one there that we saw? Um, and, you know, as soon as you throw kids in, that really dents your ability to get to training and, and that sort of thing. So I think he'd probably, I mean, he's good enough to play one more um, before maybe some of those younger guys. I was chatting to, uh, it was one of the guys that m- missed out, which is Nick Trinamai's teammate. Uh, what, Marcel? Oh, Marcel. He was he was shattered that he missed. And I know he's, what we say, champing at the bit, you know, to, to fill that void if, if Patrick does go. So, yeah, look, let's say one. Kyle? This is tough. This is really tough because I, I obviously quality wise, he's probably got at least one more left in him, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't want to blow up his spot. And I don't know if this is going to be breaking news to anyone, but uh, I talked to him right after the medal ceremony, and I've talked to him plenty of times about like you know, World Tour finals. Like, don't don't you get tired of winning? You guys win all the time. He assures me, no, they they love winning. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. But uh, I was like, yeah, you did it again, man. What's uh, Am I going to see you back at the next one? And he said, I don't know. Interesting. And he seemed pretty genuine about it. So, yeah, I mean, you have to think the human side of this, too. Like, yeah, he's 31. Like, he's won literally everything that you could possibly win mm-hmm. in fistball. You know, you have to think maybe he has some non-fistball-related goals that he may have. <laughs> maybe... <laughs> Starting maybe starting a family, maybe moving up in his job, maybe getting involved in uh, maybe he wants to play another sport. You know, maybe he wants to be a pickleball pro. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> the German basketball team, maybe. Maybe. What do you think, Melanie? Because uh, I think like uh, like I basically agree. Quality wise, like taking out any other aspect of his life. I think he could play two more. Like, I think he's, he seems to be fit enough and agile enough. He doesn't seem to be losing any, maybe he's, he thinks he does, but he doesn't seem to be losing any speed or any power as he plays. But I agree with you that I just feel like in the next, well, if he's 31 now, I just feel like in the next three or four years, stuff is going to, well, if it isn't already happening in his life, he's just going to want to do something else. I mean, he's, he's probably done this from the moment he was born. So he's, you know, at some point, like, and you speak to some of the other fistball guys who have given it up and a lot of them, you know, they still, they still love fistball, but they're just over it. They're just really, it's been such a huge part of their life and they're, they're amateur athletes that train like they're professionals and it, it kind of takes over their life. And at some point they're probably going to want to move on. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe comes back for the next one as the swan song maybe it depends on where it is as well but but then at the same time i also wouldn't be surprised if he dropped a a retirement in the next four years and austria and brazil and switzerland all cheer loudly (laughs) but we'll see what happens Um, bring out the cowbells (laughs) all right question number two uh so ignoring patrick thomas which we've already said maybe that that would be pointless anyway but if you had to pick one player to build your team around for 2027's World Championships, who would it be? Uh, I'll start with you this time, Carl. And this is to to win the whole thing? Yeah, or you, or you can throw in something else and say you want to just have the most fun team or the most uh, humorous team, whatever you want. Or the oldest, the oldest team. <laughs> you want the oldest team. <laughs> we're not talking about Masters here, we're talking about... Uh... If, if, it's to, if it's to win a World Championship, I'm building around Gabby Heck. 
I think he's the I think he's the perfect teammate. I think he's a great leader. I think he's got a really good head on his shoulders. He's young. He can play every position on the field. He was playing in the back for some points in in Yona and in Austria and even for a few points in the World Championship. Mm-hmm. Like he's he just does anything that your team needs to win and he's just so smart and quick. My original thought was going to be Philip Einsiedler from Austria, the young defender. Oh, the blonde. The 19-year-old. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in, in the, he's, he's such a beast. He's 19 years old, and he's like one of the best defenders in the world already. Mm-hmm. And he can hit the ball. Mm-hmm. The only reason I didn't put him first is because it's such a striker-dominated tournament that if you don't have the best of the best up front, then it doesn't super matter who's in the back. No offense to him. He's a phenomenal player. Yeah, and then my my outside like fun pick to to build around it's it's gonna be uh, Josh Cameron. I think that would be really fun to see yeah. who you could uh, put around him to really get the best out of him with some more training. So yeah, those those are my answers. Nice. You stole two of mine. I was thinking Gabby, and my left field one was Josh. But I also think uh, for the Danish, and I've forgotten his name again, but they're they're young young blonde striker. What's his name? Rune. Rune. I just saw elements of. Patrick in him you know some of his movements and some of some of his last minute sort of angling of the ball you know you get really you know you get a a solid German Austrian Swiss defense around him with that second striker I think yeah I think he's I think he's got a lot of potential and you know hopefully if the day I don't not sure if the Danes are coming over separately and playing in the German league in different teams or whether they come over as a team but hopefully he can get some higher quality you know be playing Division One or Bundesliga, as I think it's called over there. If he can get up up to that level, um, that's going to be massively beneficial for the for the Danes, which is my grandpa's ancestry. So I've got a little soft spot for the Danes, the Andersons. Yeah, nice. With the EN. Yeah, well, um, mine will come as no surprise. Mine was also Gabby Heck. <laughs> this is not really a, a first take or anything. This is a pretty straightforward answer, it seems. Because th- he's also going to be 26, I think, for the next World Champ. So he's still young and he looks seasoned. Um, he looks awesome. Obviously, Carly, Karl Müller for Austria is also a pretty awesome player. But, you know, two, two years older. Um, so Old geezer, Carly. Old geezer. <laughs> Notorious <laughs> old guy, Carl Müller. <laughs> Over the hill already. <laughs> And I don't have a left field one. I'd pick someone from Australia, but then I'd be seen maybe to be doing some favoritism. So I'll, I'll just go with Rod. I'll build around you for the next one, Rod. Second. No, well, I, I was thinking about the Australian one. I, I think you probably got two. I reckon obviously Nilla and Lewis. Mm-hmm. I think probably there's, you know, Nilla can do the amazing and the, and the tricky, whereas Lewis is probably going to have the power. So mm-hmm. I think if I think Lewis, if he can get more powerful, he's he's got some of those angles too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited for that as a one-two combo coming, coming forward because Nilla can get those. You know, he's quick, and he can get those short balls. And then Lewis, you know, Lewis can get get the power behind him. It's going to be yeah. I'm going to pick two for Australia. Build build behind those two, and then you know we got M and Tommy, and maybe Joshy if he sticks around, or another young defender to uh, to come in. All right, uh, number th- number three. Where will the next World Championships be? Europe, South America, other, pick a country if you want. Where do you think it's going to be? Still unknown. I'm going to have to just say Austria, surely. When was it last in Austria? I mean, it's been a while, isn't it? So, 2011. Yeah, I'd say they're dual. And, you know, maybe, I know the Italian guys are all from one 
small sort of city slash village. So the only, the left field one would be that one there. Uh, is it not Tyrrell, but I can't remember the name of it. I was speaking to Valentine there, one of their the back the right side defender. You know, they'd need a lot of help though from the surrounding countries to come in and volunteer and help though. Yeah, it would would be amazing having it. You know, the north of Italy that would be quite cool. It's quite picturesque up there. Kyle, what do you think? This this is tough. Um, you want to say the states? <laughs> I I do want to say the states. I do. I have personal vested interest and desire to to have it in in Philadelphia in in 2027. I know the IFA is fully in support of having it be somewhere else other than the traditional places you know your europe's and south americas but it just it takes a village to do these kinds of things Mm -hmm. or it takes a lot of connections i i work in the event production industry in philadelphia i have a lot of connections that way in the city as well as like direct connections to local and state governance so if anyone was to do it other than those two places i think it would probably be me so we'll see. I'm having calls. Uh, I'm seeing what's possible. It would be a massive undertaking, but I, it would be a, a dream of mine to, to do something like that. But they just, why'd they have to make it so good this year? Like, yeah, yeah, right. Just really <laughs> setting the bar so high. I'm like, come on, guys. How many, have you got any indoor stadiums nearby that are willing to roll out the, well, you guys tend to use the AstroTurf uh, in America. Oh, I hate the turf. Yeah. It stinks. Oh. But we have some good uh, we have some good outdoor venues. There's a lot of like colleges and universities close by that have some nice small to medium size like reasonable stadiums for like a fistball venue. So yeah, there's a lot of good options. So we'll see. And did you say it would be Philly or it would be outside of Philly? It would have to be Philly. Yeah, I mean that that's my best bet. Yeah, I mean all my connections are here. I've lived here my whole life, so yeah, I got got people that can pull some strings for me i was going to say is there potential for local government funding or to bring an event like this yeah for sure i've had meetings with uh the local travel and tourism agencies here and basically how it works is if you can prove financial viability for a sporting event particularly an international one they help out a lot with procuring vendors and venues and sponsors grants all that stuff so again it's trying to use other existing organization to to sort of carry it over the finish line and bridging those gaps that i don't have myself so mm-hmm. the infrastructure is there for sure i think too the positive thing about having it in the states is for a lot of those European fans, so those old school, you know, those diehard Swiss fans and Austrians and, and the Germans, what is it, a seven hour flight maybe to the States? Eight, eight hour flight. So it's not huge, but a lot of them speak English. America's always sort of a bit of a bucket list place for people to go visit. So, you know, they might swing by New York or fly into New York originally and then spend some days there. So it sort of ticks off a lot of positives. And, and then also when you think about other countries coming over, you know, like South Americans, not as far for them. You know, I know the South American countries aren't as well off. So, you know, that's an easier flight for them. So it would make sense, I think. And, uh, you know, Liz has said I'm not allowed to go to another one. But if it was in the States, I'd be uh, maybe pushing for a Disneyland holiday to tie in with it or something. Yeah, my partner's from Chicago, so that would be uh, oh, nice. maybe handy as well. Yeah, go back and see your family for two weeks. Exactly. With the kids, and I'll just go to Philly. <laughs> I think the, the most underrated element, Obviously, the financial element's a massive one, but then obviously you just need to procure volunteers 
like as you've seen with the most recent tournament, the sheer number of people that are required just to do all the little things that you don't even even think about, even just you know checking tickets at the gate, working the bars, working the food, organizing all that stuff. It's yeah, it's it's a massive massive job. I think I think I saw a stat for uh, the amount of beer that was consumed hmm. in 2019 in one of the like recap decks that I saw. I think that alone is enough for cities to be like, come on, give us your money. <laughs> Having it in Philly, what would you, you know, obviously not many people know about it. So what would the target, feel? I know Philly, especially with their sports, with basketball and baseball, they're, they're mad sports lovers. How would you get the new viewers in the door? Is it the promise of cheap beer and, you know, fun atmosphere sort of thing? Yeah, for sure. And also just like, leaning into the obscurity of it all and the weirdness Mm -hmm. i don't know if you guys know a lot about philadelphia but it's a weird place (laughs) and we'll find a reason to get together for just about anything Mm -hmm. there there was a guy this summer who ate a rotisserie chicken every day and for the last day of his challenge he went down to this like abandoned like navy yard he got like 500 people out there just like (laughs) cheering him on to eat his last rotisserie chicken is it Philly that's got the um, the fentanyl street where everyone look like zombies? Is that Philly as well? Oh yeah, we don't. Uh, no, no. What, what, are you <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, I was just going to say they pull in a crowd there too, don't they? They you know they, they get they, a, could be, they get a good they be listening. Don't, don't throw me under the bus here. <laughs> Maybe we get them in. That'd be a great crowd. Yeah, the zombie know. looking crowd. In all, in all seriousness, though, like that is one of the big things that I'm taking into consideration. Like we, we do have a lot of uh, problems here in this country, and especially Philadelphia itself. It's quite rough, uh, isn't you it? know. It, it's concentrated in yeah. It's it's concentrated in certain areas. Uh, it's certainly not widespread, but yeah, we we do have problems like that. It's not too far from me, actually. If I if I take the subway one north of me instead of going south towards the city, it's it's not. It's not ideal for yeah, me. Yeah. So. so you'd have to set it up in a reasonably safe area. Yeah. That rotisserie chicken story did actually make it down here because I remember there being like tradies just kind of saying, yeah, we, we do that every day. <laughs> that's called a tradies handbag. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what we have every day for lunch. What are you talking about? <laughs> a tradies handbag. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Which team would take the biggest leap in 2027? You go, Carl. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it, I think it has to be Denmark. I think with the amount of people sort of retiring and a lot of question marks from other nations, I think Denmark are poised to make that leap. And I think in the bracket that they are currently, you know, there's sort of like the tiers of like, you know, you have like the top four or five, mm. I would say top four. Mm-hmm. And then it's like five through nine or so. And then sort of the rest of the pack. And I think Denmark can really take that leap towards the top of that middle pack if they really stick with it and with the training that they have i think i think they're poised and yeah i mean i think you guys too you know obviously you were gutted to get Mm -hmm. 14th and like you said you had ample opportunity to to finish higher than that you got some really great guys down there uh it seems like now that you've been more and more involved in the the training aspect and you know what it takes at this level i think if you can stick with that core group of guys and really push the training that you can you can push towards uh, a much better position next time around. Yeah, obviously I would have said Denmark too, but I also think I think Argentina. I was just really impressed by the, their two young 19- and 20-year-old um, strikers, and I think you know, they're going to be 23, 24 by that stage and probably take over the mantle there. So unlike their other ones who are, sh- are shorter attackers, 
these guys are you know six three six four from memory so it just sort of adds that extra element of extra height extra angle so even though what did they finish this time i think it was at sixth yeah sixth six so you know i wonder whether they might start pushing into that top four mm. not winning it but maybe maybe a top four finish yeah, I, I still think that that's their Achilles heel, right? Like, I agree with the the youth part of it and the young talent that they have, but I I still can't see them overtaking a Switzerland or a Brazil. Like, I just can't. Yeah. I can't mm-hmm. see it. Not yet. Yeah. That's where, yeah, that's where I'm maybe hoping those young guys can be that point of difference to, to push them. Mm-hmm. Milty, what do you reckon? I, uh, yeah, obviously total Homer picker, the, the, the Aussies should have been higher. So I, on that... Uh, alone I think we would make we should be able to make a good leap particularly with our young guys having not played for very long and four years is a lot of time to learn obviously we just need regular play and I think we should be able to jump and a bit of a left field one the Czechs and the Serbians both dropped a long way at this tournament um, as they kind of refresh their squad so if they can find some new players in the next four years or um, get some more game time into some of their younger players I know Serbia had a few new players I think they could clearly jump up and to be honest maybe japan if japan can actually get some more players they it's the problem at the moment just seems to be that their player base is too small if they can just get a few more guys interested over the next four years they've improved massive like i was watching the 2019 game against us and they they were a shell of what they were in 2023 in that game so they've made strides they just need some more players and um, they've certainly got the passion and the desire to get better so we'll see. We'll try to play them as much as we can to keep them keep them involved because we want to play fistball in Japan, quite frankly. Yeah, the, me too. <laughs> that's the payoff. There's some sneaky plans. We have, you know, we're talking about we're talking with Corey about it about a some kind of tournament that may involve the US and and Japan and New Zealand, but we'll uh, we'll, we'll table that until that's a bit more certain. All right, next question. Will there be more than 16 teams at the next World Championships? Obviously, this one was restricted to 16 by the rules, hence the qualifying. Will they open it up at the next one, do you think? Carl, you go. I'm going to say no. I think with where we're at now, they want they want to keep it with uh, like regional qualifiers. And if we open it up to like you know 18 or 20, those qualifiers don't really mean as much. You know, For some reasons, it could just be that you play and you're in. And I think they still want to have some sort of competition there in the lead-up tournaments, but I don't know. I think I could I can make an argument for for both sides, you know, like open it up and just have people experience it. Mm-hmm. But no, I think they'll probably stick with the sixteen teams. Yeah, I think so too. I think you know you'd love just for others to be able to experience it, but I think also if you open it up, you know, you went to eighteen or twenty, the the level significantly drops as well i think so you know if you keep you keep it small then you've got that drive to improve if 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 it was just for us oh yeah we can have a team in no matter what then that drive to get better might not be there you'll just be like oh yeah sweet we can just train for six weeks before it and then head head on over whereas if you know hang on we're going to have a tournament in three and a half years time or three years time to determine whether we can go you know, we've got to get a spot in there, then it really pushes you and, and makes you sort of go out and search for those next players um, rather than resting on your laurels. Hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of in two minds because it's obviously I, I appreciated that this tournament, the level of play was reasonably high, I thought, like from 
all the way down to 16. Obviously, there was a clear packing order. I still think that the lower quality games were actually still pretty high quality compared to previous tournaments. And I do appreciate that that need to qualify and have the qualifiers mean something. I think it's hard for new nations to get motivated unless there is a, a really good qualifying system. I think one of the issues, one of the things with the Europeans is they have these European championships every two years and they're they're actually like really high quality tournaments and these teams get to go in and they get to play against your Germanys and your Austrias and well, maybe you get to play against them all. Whereas say a team like a Hong Kong or a maybe another African nation that comes up to be able, to not be able to play in a quality tournament, I think they'll find that some of these teams will become disinterested pretty quickly just because the establishment isn't there yet for all of those nations, right? So like... Uh, at least that's what got us involved right if we had to qualify for that first world champs in 2015 i don't think we would have bothered right like we would have gone to the qualifying tournament got smashed and just then probably i don't know fistball might have even faded away here so i think having that first experience in argentina and then the drive to keep going after that did help i think but I'm not really sure. I, I think you're probably right. I think they probably will restrict it to 16, though, to be honest. I do wonder whether it's a bit, whether they bring in the concept of, you know, like the Olympics where Eric the Eel, you know, so they, they allow those countries where they're developing the sport to have someone in. So say someone like, my, my friend Gaz came over from England, from Glossop near Manchester, and he was like, oh, this is, this is bloody great. You know, I'm too old now, but I'd love to get guys playing in England. You know, England would be, be great, but... They'd never qualify because they're in the pool of Europe. So mm. whether you had, you know, two countries each time, which were, you know, Hong Kong that have just started and, and England, and they play maybe in those bottom ones just as as an exhibition type thing, but they get involved. So there's still the chance to be involved. And there's, you know, it's a one-off compensation where, all right, you get to do it. But then from then on in, you've got to qualify, you know, whether they open up something like that. I like that. You know, obviously, they're not going to win many games, but but yeah, you know, it's an invitation. Just a, just a thought, Yearn, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to grow it, do it this way. Yeah, he'll, he'll listen. He'll listen. Yeah, if they listen to our podcast, I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's just assume. Let's pretend that they are going to uh, allow more than 16 teams. Can you predict? We'll just put this prediction on the record. Can you predict a new country that will just come out of the woodwork in 2027 and declare that they want to play in the World Championships? I wonder whether like a, the Kiwi boys maybe bring out the old Samoans or the Cook Islanders, or even though they're living in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe Hong Kong. China love winning everything. Now Hong Kong are part of China. Maybe they get a sniff of it and they just throw in millions and hire the Chinese <laughs> you know, independent state volleyball team and rebrand them as the fistball team and send them over yeah yeah they'll they'll be interesting maybe post world games right yeah i mean they get the automatic bid as the the host country for the world games so you know Mm. who knows what comes out of that you know if they make a team I'm, i'm not sure if they're in talks with china yet in terms of establishing a program there but yeah they could get a a spark from the the world games and uh and stick with it I think Colombia will probably come back. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of nice young players down there that are really motivated, that have stuck with it, and they, they just missed out uh, on this one. So I think they'll come back. Yeah, I think maybe Canada is an outside shout mm. um, with rumors of the uh, 
continental qualifiers for the world games you know if, if that was the case then you know the u.s would only have to beat mexico and canada what like cuba jamaica something like aruba that. jamaica uh, <laughs> but, so to, to mexico just all those beach boys countries that they sing yeah, about kokomo is a country that's going to come out of nowhere yeah so do mexico have a team and do canada have a team or do they have players from what I heard, Canada does have players. Mm. I don't think they've really organized much recently, but they did play mm. at some point. So if they have something more to play for now, and the World Games is certainly that, you know, maybe that could could bring them out. Yeah. You know, we'll see. And you guys are pretty close to the border. You know, you form a team yeah. in Toronto that just pop over the border and they can play in New York and Pennsylvania. and Easy. It's not too far. I mean, it's closer for me to get to Toronto than it is to Wisconsin. So. Yeah, right. Do it, Toronto. That's our, and obviously, we really want to get the Poms, the British, the English, whatever they want to be called. We want them involved. Get the ashes. Get the ashes going. Get the ashes going. Yeah. We'll burn a fistball. We'll uh, put it in an urn, and then we'll just crush them every time. That's that's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> now that the Kiwis are really good and beat us frequently, we just want to be able to crush some other team yeah. regularly. So the English would be nice. Just put England, Australia, India, New Zealand in a group and uh, yeah, just have you guys have fun. It's the Commonwealth Games. Com- Com- yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Canada can join then when they get up and running. Yeah. <laughs> Final question. What is the best thing about the IFA World Championships for you personally? i start with you, Rod. Oh, okay, all right. I, th- I think after missing out in 2019, yeah, obviously we, we picked, captains um, per tournament but I, I was the previous captain you know and I, I was playing some decent fistball then and the, and the body was feeling a lot better so missing out then more it was purely financial I just moved down to Geelong I had a one-year-old you know Liz hadn't been back working for long after maternity leave so yeah I was hell-bent on getting to this one and just just the the atmosphere the atmosphere and the just the the warmth of the Germans like the two clubs that we visited beforehand, shout out to Offenberg and, and Wilderstadt, they were just so amazing to us and they put on breakfast, lunch, dinners, tournaments where they had you know, 50, 60, 70 people come and watch. Then they just pumped us full of alcohol that night. You know, they, just treat, they treated us like kings and they didn't have to and they got nothing out of it you know, apart from the fact that they get to support some fellow fistball lovers. And I, I thought that was the, probably the most amazing part. You know, the tournament's a separate thing. But, you know, we've made some lifelong friends. Um, Julius, who was our volunteer, and Niels, you know, two of the nicest guys you've ever met. And they, they didn't have to, you know, they volunteered to drive us around and show us around towns. And, you know, they're just great blokes. And, and that, that's probably what I'll take out of it is the, the friendships, friendships and the atmosphere. Uh, for me personally, and I don't think this will be too much of a surprise, there's two things in this world that I really geek out about and I'm passionate about, and that's fistball and live event production. And being able to combine the two of those things and to be such an integral part of such an amazing production of fistball is just like, it was just so cool for me. Like, I had to really take a step back and like understand like really what I was a part of in the moment and uh, seeing it all come together, you know, behind the scenes, 
seeing all the work that went into the production value, the camera crew, the just the media coverage from top to bottom and just sort of being in the mix of all of that was just like a big personal accomplishment for me personally and professionally. So yeah, it was, it was a, yeah, really important moment for me just to see how far I've come, not just in, you know, a, a hobby that I had no idea what I was getting into over a decade ago mm-hmm. and in a career path that I didn't know where it was going to take me either. And to see it all come together in just such a perfect way, it was like just incredible for me. And I guess for you two chatting to you in Villastat, I guess it was a, a bittersweet world champs because obviously you wanted to be there in the playing perspective, but then you got this opportunity as well, which is equally as amazing as playing. So, you know, you, you were still a major part of the tournament. You know, obviously next time you want to you want to be there as a player, but hopefully, hopefully you can do a little bit of both. You know, I'm not I'm not sure, you know, after playing in one and doing commentary for one, you know, I, I got that the itch was scratched when I was, uh, you know, I got to play, you know, especially against Germany under the lights like that was like, I don't think ever anything is going to compare to that moment in my sporting career ever. And, you know, now it's like, I, I just want more people to experience how awesome the sport is. And, and sort of just like pass that torch. And if I'm on the field, then I'm not in the booth. And I think it would be doing a disservice to the production value. Not to not to toot my own horn or anything. <laughs> but I think that I'm more well served in, in the booth. You know, I, I, I dedicate my life to the sport. I've played all around the world. I know a lot of these guys personally. And uh, it's something that I'm really passionate about. So I think, you know, as long as the IFA will have me, like, you'll you'll find me in the booth for uh, many more events to come. Nice. Awesome. Melanie? Maybe I'll be joining you in the booth at some point. I would love that. <laughs> I'm always looking for someone else to talk to. <laughs> Guest hosts. <laughs> Guess so. Yeah, I'll come in. Just, yeah. Just say some really controversial stuff and then leave. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. Works for me. It's entertainment. <laughs> Um, uh, for me, the best thing is, I guess it's two things, right? It's, it's the people. It's a bit like what Rod touched on there. It's like the being around all these people that give you so much love and attention and affection. Even the people that you barely know just will reach out and want to talk to you and want to help you and, and make your life so incredibly comfortable with these things. And then just seeing people that, you know, like all the people that go to these tournaments are people, a lot of these people that have come to Australia uh, and trained with us or met with us and played with us. And they're, they're the sort of people that turn up to world champs, no matter where they're from in, in mostly in Europe and, and just catching up with all those people and, and shooting the shit again. And um, I love that part of it and then the other part of it is just watching fistball live man i like you kind of like i geek out about fistball and just like be able to watch it live uh frequently and for me this time watching it from the sidelines as you know my team was out there playing their hearts out some of the highs from some of the stuff that some of the guys did in games where they would just hit the perfect shot or get the perfect defensive hit back that stuff was honestly i was getting bigger highs from that than when i was playing uh, in the two previous tournaments, just watching, just kind of getting involved in all the emotion of that. I, that was just an absolute high for me. And that's what I love about these things. It's such a whirlwind, you know, these two weeks, they just, 
you suddenly you're back home and you're like, was that even real? I mean, that was just like a surreal experience. That's why the great, the great thing about all the production and all the photos and everything that was taken, you can actually go back and go, oh yeah, that did, that did all happen. That was all real. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Fist. I do have a couple of listener questions. We can smash through it, seeing as the time is flying along. So let me just pull up some listener questions quickly. So we've got some here for Kyle. <laughs> some of these are from an R. Matthews, so he can probably just... <laughs> was that Roger? Roger? We could skip the first one. I think I was drunk when I was writing them, so I have no idea what I wrote. So read them out. <laughs> some of them I'm not going to read out. They're a bit more controversial. But this one uh, was just how long does it take you to trim your beard from an R. Matthews? <laughs> uh, not too long. Uh, five ten minutes. I got it down to a science now. Beautiful. All right, this one's from an uh, an N Pudal. Uh, what was your favorite game of the World Champs? My favorite game. Oh, that's tough. Hmm. I mean, selfishly, the one that sticks out is USA Namibia. You know, first game in the SAP, and just to see uh, oh, yeah. see my buddies go out there and come away with the President's Cup was really great. It was a it was a fun match to see. Fairly evenly matched. Yeah, Corey was fired up too. Oh yeah, I, I was so happy for him. He, all the energy. He, he works so hard. I mean, all those guys too. But like, I know how much Corey puts into it, and so I, I was really happy for them. And then the one that I go back to the most is uh, the semifinal between Brazil and and Germany. I think that was one of the mm-hmm. the best quality games that that we got to see. Uh, just like so close, and like that one felt in some ways more of a final than. Austria Germany did in in some respects no no credit taken away from Austria but yeah it was just so close and entertaining for me nice this one is from a N Trinemeyer could be anyone <laughs> he said who would be Kyle's favorite co-commentator I don't know if this is like a, a potential future co-commentator or an existing one because I think you only had one co-commentator I actually I had a couple I had a couple for oh, this world championship yeah I had a uh, okay. I had Alwyn and I had uh, Ceci from Brazil came up. Oh, and Volley, Volley Weber. Yeah. Uh, favorite existing one would... Uh, oh, that's so close. It's like picking your favorite child. They were, they were all great. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's I, I'm always happy to have someone else in there with me to to talk. And, and Uli was fantastic as well. He had some great insights. And he's got a much better radio voice than I do. So, <laughs> But if it's someone that I haven't commentated with yet... Oh gosh, that's so hard. I really want to get in the booth with Ollie Long. Oh yeah, I love that yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. He's fantastic, and he does and he does a lot of commentary for his like regional tournaments too. We had a lot of great discussions. Yeah, I would love to to be in a booth with him one day and and pick his brain. He's been around the sport for so long, and he's so passionate. Yeah, uh, I think that would be great. But Nick, you're always welcome as well if you're ever around. Of course, open invite. Of course, Ollie's got a he's got a pretty good sense of humor too, right? Doesn't he? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, is that Ollie from Offenburg? No, the coach of the no, Swiss the team. Swiss head coach. Ah, yeah. yes, okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously, yeah, Trinamai, he's always good value. Get him in the booth. All right, this is the last question. This is from a, a Jay Khalil. You might know him. He said, "How do you keep your hair that nice?" Oh, uh, <laughs> like, a lot of people are concerned about your appearance. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll take it in a positive way. Uh, t- showering. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I don't really do all that much. Hidden secret: showering. Anti-dandruff yeah. shampoo. <laughs> yeah, sh- showering helps. You know, 
shampoo and condition. <laughs> All right, beautiful. I'd love to know what my drunken, maybe we'll talk about them off air, but I've no I think I was hammered when I <laughs> wrote those in. So I'd love to know what else I wrote. That wasn't too bad. <laughs> like you have wrote one for me. Uh, you said, and the two, they're pretty similar uh, ones from Neela as well. It said, uh, why were you so hard on your hat throwing him around? Oh, yeah. And Neela said, have you practiced your hat catching skills? <laughs> uh, these both relate to, uh, I think it was, I might have even been in a couple of games. It was definitely it was a couple a of games. Game yeah, I've seen them in a couple. Yeah. Where basically what was happening was we were not finishing a rally <laughs> because... Either the set wouldn't be, or the defensive hit wouldn't be close enough, the set wouldn't be close enough, or the attacking shot wouldn't have enough juice on it. So some of these rallies just kept going and going. And I think my natural instinct was to squeeze my head in frustration. <laughs> and then once the point was over, the release would be the hat popping off my head, basically. Um, <laughs> usually when we lost the point. Because <laughs> there's one for Japan, which was caught on video. And I think, Kyle, you made a comment about it in the moment. Uh, where I think it was possibly the longest rally of the tournament, um, and we ended up choking the point up after about 20 hits back and forth, and my hat just <laughs> flew up in the air about a metre. Yeah. <laughs> um, just quickly, before we... I know we're going to sign off soon, but I, I did see... I get, got a message from Roger Whelan about the Masters tournament being held in Namibia. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, anyone interested? Uh, I think it was 2024? 25. 25, so... I'll well and truly fit into that category, so... Whether I tie in a, a quick visit, I lived in South Africa for a year, so I've got a lot of friends over there. So it oh, nice. could be a visit over there to Johannesburg, and then I'm assuming it's going to be in Vintuk or in their capital. It would be fun, though. It'd be a fun tournament. It would be. I don't know if I could convince my partner to uh, let me, but uh, we'll see. I'll just read out the other questions. We got one from Sander, just to respect the people that put in their time. He said, How come this boy is like spaghetti when dancing but still retired? Hashtag Milne for national team. So oh. thank you, Sander. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's where all my energy goes for like a 30-minute period when I'm hammered on the dance floor. But, you know, it's great. Springs in your face. And then, and then Nick asked me how many beers did I have in Germany. What's your favorite German beer? I um, Actually, we had, a good, we had a rule in the team that we would not drink during the tournament until after we were finished which everyone i believe respected which was great for me but then afterwards nick i I drank a lot of beer but i can't remember what i was drinking so i can't say what my favorite was all all german pilsners tasted nice in my eyes yeah oh it's delicious yeah um these are all for mal and this see if you can spot a theme from r matthews have you had your liver count tested since returning to australia from neela in metric tons how much alcohol did bobby consume (laughs) nick how many beers did you have in germany and then johnny where did you drink the best beer (laughs) so there's a bit of a theme there with uh with mal he had the time of his life though him and bobby were uh his uh his friend from birchip bobby they were just uh they were also our, like our PR reps, really. They kind of hung around after every game. Talked to everyone, yeah. And every uh, drinking event, talked to everyone, made sure they knew who we were. So Poor old Mel. Shout out to you, Mel. We actually got some Belgian beers from Sander. He gave us four, so uh, yeah. him and I are going to get together at some stage. But the alcohol didn't do great things for his psoriasis, and by the end of it, he looked like he was a kid covered in eczema. So, Mel, I hope the steroid cream has really kicked in <laughs> because he was flaking to pieces by the end of the, uh, oh, by the, end of the trip. Yeah, oh, poor dear. bugger. And it looked itchy. So, 
He persevered. Yeah, he did. He did. No. <laughs> Fist. Boy. We usually do shout outs at this point. Um, does anyone have any shout outs that they want to? Uh, Carl, do you have any shout outs? Uh, yeah, I got a couple. Um, shout out IFA again for uh, just continuing to believe in me and bring me back and take care of me, uh, particularly uh, Valentin, Weber as well as uh, Christoph. Just love the work that you guys are doing and happy to be a part of it. Shout out to my U.S. teammates. Wish I could have been there on the field with you guys, but shout out for bringing home President's Cup trophy and then just all the volunteers and all of the people behind the scenes that made that world championship, as well as all of the U.S. volunteers that helped get our guys to where they needed to be. It's a... it's a lot of work and we all are busy and so anyone that comes forward and helps out with uh making such an event happen um, i'm grateful for so yeah i'd like i've mentioned the two clubs that we visited beforehand so shout out to i can't remember the the letters that go in front of their clubs one's spp vg or something and fbc for offenberg yeah. uh, so often offenberg and Vilda start shout out to those guys massive one to milney carl Mil- milney does so much for fistball in australia you know, whether it's booking the hotels, you know, all the accounting, a lot of the um, clothing along with Bryce, I think. So, yeah, I did mention it in the rooms after our last game, how much Milne does for the sport and his passion shines through. So massive shout out to you, Milne. Obviously the wife, she's never going to listen to this, but, you know, she had to put up with a lot and I'm still dealing with the consequences now. Of, you know, can I, can I go play golf? She's like, you had two weeks in Germany. Don't even think about it's it. has got a long tail on it. Um, shout out to all the wives. Yeah, all the wives. The small then, wives get, a, get their own shout yeah, out. And yeah. then uh, I've got a bunch of mates in Melbourne. They came down, a couple of them came down the trivia nights, the five or die guys. You know, they love having a shout out, so they'll appreciate me mentioning them at the very end. And I'll tell them that I mentioned them and they'll have to listen to the whole way through. So <laughs> Foxy, Judd, BJ and Nunzo, look forward to having a beer with you boys soon. I have one more that I yeah, yeah. I can't believe I forgot about, but a newcomer to the U.S. fistball scene, Robert Weinberger, a.k.a. Bo. Again, one of those, he's a dual U.S.-German citizen, plays with... Um, uh, Grafenau, which you guys uh-huh. also played at. Yeah, we met Rob. Great fellow. Yeah, he's fantastic. He's he saved our team. Like he was so on top of everything uh, at the World Championship, and just a, a really great guy. I, I spent uh, a lot of time with him, getting to know him since he reached out and uh, got involved in the tryout process. And uh, yeah, good good friend of mine now. So yeah, shout out Bo. Thank you for uh, hmm. just uh, just all all that you do. You're the best. Yeah, I had a running joke with him where like at that tournament every time i turned around he was there he was just somehow he was every single place i went to he was always there he was uh he was great it'd be a sneaky chance for the the american team potentially next world champs yeah, or... he i think he'll definitely be on the squad i mean he's i think he's a little bit younger than me perhaps the same age so mm-hmm. yeah he's he's hungry and he gets all that great training in in germany personally i thought he should have been on the team this time around but we've know. um we did a little bit of recruiting while we we're over there too. Julius, who was ours, and I did forget to shout out to Julius, Nils, and Tommy Helber, of course, but Milne, you might be shouting out to Tommy. Um, Julius's sister is actually studying in Sydney, so um, we've said to him to come over and visit visit her, shack up with one of her Aussie mates that she makes, marry her, become <laughs> a citizen, and then we'll put him on the team. So he's got four years to yep. sort his life out, but um, yep. yeah, Julius, 
we'd love to have you on the team, mate. Obviously, we extend that to all German and Austrian and Swiss footballers. Feel free to come over. <laughs> <laughs> Find partners here and you're on the squad. Yeah. Uh, my shout-outs, I'll smash through them because there's so many just because, A, we haven't done a podcast in forever and, B, we just came back from a World Champs. But, and some of them you guys have already touched on, but Christoph, Sonke, Sonke? Uh, Gastel, Bally, all those guys for putting on such an awesome tournament. Julia and Alicia for basically becoming part of our Wombat Entourage, uh, Julia Gavinden. And, yeah, Offenberg guys, Niels, uh, Oli, uh, Nile, and everyone else there, and Valderstad, particularly Jonas and Connie, who looked after us. That was an awesome experience. To be able to do it for the second World Champs in a row, replicate the photo that we did the first time around of us all in the beer cart, holding up the boot. You know, those guys at both of those clubs put so much time and effort and money into hosting us, and we honestly could not appreciate it more. And it just made the whole experience amazing. But a special shout-out to Julius who not only helped us train in Offenburg, uh, but then also became an integral part of our team at the World Champs itself as like our, effectively, I guess he was there as our helper, but to be honest, he kind of became a coach, to be honest, on our team. And I lent on him a lot for support and help and uh, insight. Um, and all the guys on the team trusted him and loved him. And just that, that vision of him at the closing ceremony after we gave him a blazer and he's, you know, he's rocking the, the baggy green hat and he's got the flag. I, I couldn't have looked more proud to be rocking the Australian colours at that point. At that point, I was, I was like almost getting emotional watching him out there. Massive shout out to Tommy Helber as well, who helped to set up everything in the pre-tournament schedule. And then, you know, obviously we brought him on to be a coach. And for me, he was hugely helpful as well. So shout out as well to Tommy, of course. And then the final shout out is just all the Wombat boys who played their hearts out and stuck together and made it a great experience um, for each other, but then also for me as a coach. And as a coach, obviously, it can it can really go one of two ways, generally. So that made it perfect for me. So thanks, Wombat Boys. I don't know if I don't know if young people listen to a uh, to podcast, so they probably won't hear this. So well, it's on Spotify. So if we if we put, we'll put it on the playlist that we've got. Yeah, we'll add it add it to the playlist. But talking um, with with Julius there and you're talking about putting that on as much as he helped us you know I, I think like you said he he did I think he well Julius you can tell us this you can write it on the group but I think he he absolutely loved us and I think we meant a lot to him too because when he had to he had to do a bar shift on the last night for the last four hours and he had to say goodbye to a lot of us and there were there were tears and you know I'm a sucker for if I see someone crying I I start crying in sympathy. Yeah. So yeah. when I say goodbye to him, you know, it was there was some tears there as well. And it just goes to show, like, you have that, you know he's going to be a friend for life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's great that you, we can share that love for fistball and, and that share that experience together. So looking forward to seeing you in Sydney, mate, yeah. when you come over. Yeah, I think I told him pretty early on that he lucked out getting the Australians. I don't think he realised it at that moment. But, uh, yeah, as it went on, he clearly understood why. So. Yeah. All right. That's all our shout out. So we should probably give a little an uru and a fist on and, and, and call it into it. So thank you again, Kyle, for doing this a second time. I promise this one will get released. It's a pleasure. <laughs> and not thrown in the dumps. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, and hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll find a reason to get you over here to, to Australia or we'll find a reason to get to the States and, yeah. and play some fistball. Absolutely. I'd love that. Thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure. And thanks, Rod, for filling in for now. Not a problem. Not a problem. Hopefully I didn't talk as much. 
<laughs> well, we still did two and a half hours, but I don't know whose fault that is. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to say uru and fist on, so thanks, guys. Uru, fist on. Thank you, guys. Hooroo. Hooroo, fist on. Hooroo, fist on.